everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Fearcast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss, uh, and I'm a licensed clinician specializing in OCD and anxiety. Uh, this is a question and answer based podcast where you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com, send me a question over there by clicking on the submit a question link. You can also send an audio question by recording your question and emailing me a link to it or emailing me the file to it. Uh, you can send it to questions at fearcastpodcast.com or you can send me a link in the submit a question box at uh, Fearcast Podcast. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Um, well, uh, I, I, well, first off, I hope everybody is doing well. Um, things in my life are just as crazy as always, so I appreciate um, everybody's patience with getting these uh, episodes out. Um, I, again, we are we are we're moving, so that means that we are moving into a fixer upper as as you do. So that means I'm I'm after all the kids go to sleep, I go over to the new house and I work on it and I I I paint or I sand or I I do something and it's it's taken up a whole bunch of time, but I'm getting these episodes out, so I appreciate your patience and um continued support in that. So first, before we get into the episode today, I just want to do a little plug for the IOCDF online conference. Um, if, um, uh, if if you have availability on November 4th through 6th, so that's that's coming up, not this weekend, but the weekend after, um, check it out. It's going to be, there's going to be a, a ton of talks. It's all online. So wherever you are in the world, you can get access to it. And I think if you get access to it, or, or if, you, if you attend the conference, all the talks are pre-recorded, so you can you can see each and every talk. I think probably for about two weeks after. Oh, let's see here. Content will be available for sixty days following the event, so you get two months to watch each and every talk. And there's going to be a ton of talks. And one of the reasons I'm bringing this up is I and Kelly Frankie and Lauren Rosen are, are teaming up yet again to do a couple of talks, so you can find out uh, which ones we're at. But there's going to be a, a, a bunch of fantastic speakers from all over the world um, uh, giving chats there. So um, if you are, if you or a family member um, or a loved one or someone interested in learning more about OCD and anxiety treatment, um, the online conference is probably going to be the best place to go to get that information and um, to get a jump start on that. So um, yeah, so check it out. Go over to iocdf.org and there's going to be some information there. So um, without further ado, everybody, let's get into this episode. So today is going to be another installment in the Anxiety in the Arts uh, series. So a couple, uh, well, a little while ago, I released a couple of episodes um, every other week with uh, interviewing someone in the arts in some sort of facet. So visual artist, performing artist, uh, uh, musician, something like that, and um, what I really want to do is put a spotlight on people who are who are artists and are expressing themselves in in some sort of uh, artistic fashion. Um, but anxiety sometimes impacts their life, impacts their ability to do art, and sometimes their art influences or or manifests. Uh, through their art. So it's it's a lot of different things, and I, I just wanted to put a spotlight on that for um, for people out there who, you know, may be struggling with, uh, with anxiety, depression, other mental health issues, and impacting their, um, their ability to uh, 
be an artist. So, um, so today I had some, well, today I have an interview with someone who reached out to me after that series and said they wanted to share their story. So by the way, I will say, if you would like to share your story, I would love to hear it. And I think other people would be interested in it too. Go over to Instagram. Uh, you can go to fearcastpodcast.com and send me a message over there. But you can also send me a message over at Instagram. I'm fearcastpodcast over there. So uh, send it to me over there. And um, uh, we'll be, I'll be more than happy to try to figure out a time that works. So today I'm interviewing Erica and I'm, I, I'm, I'm sharing her story and she's sharing her story with all of us. So I'll tell you a little bit about her her, and then we'll get into the uh, the interview. So, Erica has been a musician since she was five years old. Over the course of her life, she's performed solo or in bands, orchestras, and ensembles across the United States and Canada, whether it's been through piano, clarinet, saxophone, percussion, or guitar. She's now a guitar teacher and mental health advocate for OCD, anxiety, and depression, and hopes to help others in their mental health journeys. So, without further ado... Here's my chat with Erica. All right, Erica, thank you so much for joining us for uh, the Fearcast today for the Anxiety in the Arts uh, series. So um, you've been so kind to agree to join today to talk about your experience with anxiety, your experience with um, performing arts and, and, and the arts. And I'd love to hear about how, how you've experienced anxiety, what your, what your um, activity is within the arts, and kind of how those two things have overlapped. So first off, again, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Kevin. It's it's great to be here. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I have to start from the the very beginning. Um, I started playing piano when I was uh, almost five years old. I was like four and a half, mm-hmm. um, and obviously it was well maybe it's not obviously but it was forced on me (laughs) i definitely did not request to play piano um my sister my older sister already had been playing for about two and a half years and i had kind of been tinkering on the keys for a while um watching her take lessons and everything Mm. um and you know i mean this does kind of go in line with a lot of i guess immigrant households and especially like chinese american households um my parents definitely valued me um playing piano and me being good at piano and part of it as i think is is to encourage i guess a creative mind but also just encourage discipline um and so i had a lot of i had a lot of experiences with music that were really mixed i think um i had a lot of memories of my sister um in tears because mm. she was playing piano and and i wasn't good enough for for my dad and um and, you know, um, I just felt like a lot of our, I guess, uh, well, this is good. I didn't think of it this way then when I was, but now I think about it, it feels like a lot of our worth, I guess, as children were tied to how well we did in piano lessons and yeah. how much we were progressing. Um, so, um, I ended up starting to take piano lessons and, um, I actually was, was really good at it. Uh, teachers I had all commented about, you know, how strong my fingers were and how I was, you know, naturally gifted at it. Um, not to toot my own horn, but I was pretty good at it. And you so, um, horn, I was classic- <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was class, I was classically trained. So everything I learned, um, if anyone's listening, who is a classical pianist, I went through the Hannon books, um, Czerny, um, you know, Beethoven, Chopin, Schubert, Schumann, you know, everyone. Um, and so kind of throughout 
um, my piano career, I guess I've just played a lot of different composers. Um, and so when I was little, I, I had, I was with the same teacher for about two years and I was living in Canada at the time. Mm -hmm. I'm actually, uh, was born in Canada and then I moved to the U S when I was six and a half. So I switched teachers mm -hmm. and the teacher I switched to was much, much, uh, a little bit less strict than my, my former teacher in Canada. My teacher in Canada was, uh, was also Chinese mm -hmm. and she, well, she was, she was very kind. Um, but she definitely was very, uh, strict in terms of what she expected from me practice wise. And when I got to my teacher in the States, I think she just, I, I honestly feel like she gave me a little too much leeway sometimes because she thought that I was talented and, and which is a good thing, but also, you know, I, she didn't really notice when I didn't practice because mm. I was just, it was just, it didn't really make a difference whether or not I was practicing at the time. Um, so it was, it was kind of confusing because I had all these teachers giving me feedback about how good I was. Um, but then at home I'm getting like berated for not practicing and mm. for, um, after every performance I would do, you know, my, my, my dad, or like usually my dad, um, would, would say things like, you know, I heard that mistake you made, like I heard you made some mistakes and mm. sometimes you'd be joking, but it was just kind of always like, you did a good job, but here's your mistakes. Just notice you did make some mistakes. Um, oh, that's what the, and the, so the, I, the, the killer butt in there. Yeah. Good job, but yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, I had pretty high confidence in my piano ability, I guess. Um, but eventually I, I, it just, it never was really a fun thing for me because of the amount of pressure I faced, um, to be good at piano. Um, especially because my, my parents and my teachers could tell that, you know, I, I had potential as being a, to be a professional musician. Mm. Um, and my dad's dream, honestly, when, if he hadn't become a scientist, like he is now, his dream was to be a musician. Um, and so I feel like he kind of imposed that dream onto me and yeah. wanted me to be successful as a musician. Um, and so a lot of it was just, I associated piano with, a lot of dread um mm. but at the same time a lot of positive reinforcement it's like my teachers think i'm great and then at home i feel like i'm not practicing enough i'm not doing well enough i'm there's just some like something's wrong and i'm being yelled at all the time mm. um and so it, i had really mixed feelings about it um and then eventually in uh fourth grade i started learning clarinet um and clarinet was fun because i actually i associated clarinet with a lot more positive motions i guess than piano at the time because it was always very it's more of an ensemble environment mm -hmm. um piano is a very solo lonely kind of world because it's just um yeah it's just it's just yourself not playing with anyone else right most of the time um but clarinet i was in a band i was in jazz band um i was in different ensembles um and i had a lot of fun um and then uh yeah eventually in high school um i ended up in marching band um and that was fun um and still playing piano all throughout mm -hmm. um and had been started to to consider you know majoring in music as as either one of my only majors or one of them mm -hmm. um and 
again like a long a, a, I don't know I mean eventually me playing clarinet and being in band was started to be associated with certain negative emotions as well because mm-hmm. um my band director in high school was um he was kind of strange and as teenagers we didn't really know what to do about it mm-hmm. um he he looking back on it, it was pretty clear that he kind of groomed a lot of the younger male students um, in the sense that he would like pull them onto his laps um, in the middle of class. He would give special treatment, preferential treatment to um, certain boys in the class. um, Mm. And if if they had like special meetings with him Um, and he also would just call us names like one time he um what i looked i looked down or something i was playing in the pit orchestra Mm -hmm. and um he said i looked like a bitch and and i should i need to smile more or something um and i remember i remember just being like you know i could leave and he said you know i'm just kidding you know i love you you know so it's kind of strange it felt like i was very I don't know. We didn't really know what was going on. All we knew as teenagers was to complain and think he was weird, but we didn't report him or anything because we didn't really know any better. Right. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I feel like I've just had a lot of interesting interactions with <laughs> music teachers overall. And Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. And this is a little bit of a lot. There's still a little more to the story, I guess, is my my senior year of high school i decided to switch piano teachers because my teacher was getting older and she was frequently sick oh. um and a lot of the times she would forget uh what we had done in our lessons and so um mm. what ended up happening was i switched to a harsher kind of like stricter russian teacher um and this was teacher that, was uh, that a, was that intentional like did you want did you seek that that out or was it just you found a teacher they happened to be more strict in russian i think i i sought a stricter teacher because because i felt like my teacher was uh she didn't notice when i didn't practice right or she would forget what we did in lessons so part of it was like i think i had just it had just felt like it, the 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 teacher student relationship had gotten a little bit stale in mm-hmm. the sense that i wasn't growing growing much more from mm-hmm. her instruction although i really really loved her as a person and she was like probably one of the kindest people i ever knew but um I think I just needed, I want, I think I wanted a harsher reality at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I sought out this, this stricter teacher. Um, and unfortunately she kind of just, if my other teacher was super kind, she was just the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Um, she said that, uh, I, she was putting her reputation in jeopardy by, by even having me as a student. Um, she said that, um, you know, my playing is extremely behind all of her other students. Um, she said that I was probably even worse than some of her like nine year old students. Um, she'd constantly talk about how all of her other students that she had posted pictures of on the wall had all gotten into like Yale and Harvard and gone on scholarships and they've played all over the world. Like, meanwhile, I'm just, she is give, doing me a favor, doing my parents a favor by accepting me as a student. Um, Jeez. And she, she just was very nice um she also when we had our lessons she would walk away and talk on her phone for about 30 minutes and just play some recordings on repeat and tell me to just play along with the recording and then tell me to play that way um so 
yeah and then in the at the end of the day like when i was applying to because my whole intention behind getting a stricter teacher was to kind of whip me in shape for auditions for college Mm -hmm. um she ended up refusing to write me recommendations for music school um because she said it would ruin her reputation um so i think this was around the time my like (laughs) self-esteem with anything that had to do with my musicianship just really plummeted because i I felt like yeah, I mean, she's just, I, oh, there was never any positive reinforcement with her. Um, it was all, uh, all the motivation was driven by uh, me not being good enough, I guess. Um, mm. And so, and, yeah, so anyways, that affected me throughout college because, you know, I'd had multiple, when you're a music major, you continue. I did get into music school as a piano major. Okay. Um, and I. Take that, yeah, teacher. Um, yeah no thanks to her right but like but i think there were certain places i did not get into because she refused to write me a recommendation um and so you know even in college i i just doubted how how good i was compared to everyone else um i felt like my teachers i probably saw more judgment in them than they maybe actually wanted to to, you know wanted to show to me mm-hmm. but it's just because i was like i constantly felt like i was being criticized and um and also just the classical piano world is kind of uh you know it's it's tough out there <laughs> there's a lot of good musicians and i think it's also a reality check i was definitely the best pianist in my high school but not in college and mm-hmm. um you know pianists classical pianists you know, certain environments tend to be pretty toxic and people will tell you exactly what they think you did wrong and they'll also attribute it to you your worthiness as like a colleague or a peer or whatever um so yeah i mean overall like performance anxiety has always it's honestly it was not really a thing for me until i was around 16 because mm-hmm. i honestly used to think i was great i was like i'm so good at piano <laughs> um and then all of a sudden I, I like I think it was after maybe the first time I didn't place in a competition yeah. that I realized that that everyone else had been practicing all these years and my years of not practicing as much were catching up to me mm. and then uh, that's when I started to realize that the the playing field had been kind of evened out and I now needed I now was starting to feel pressure um, and that's when the performance anxiety kind of came in um, and i mean it never really stopped me from from performing but it was just you know sometimes you could visibly see my legs shaking the Mm. entire time Mm -hmm. uh, my hands shaking um and it would obviously cause more mistakes than i probably made by myself yeah um and in college we had we had monthly or was it weekly um student recitals and i did not participate in any of them throughout my entire four years because i was uh just honestly worried of what my peers would think of me Mm. um even though i had gotten in in the exact same way that they did i still felt like for some reason i was the worst of them all um so i mean i ended up doing a student recital just on my own my own senior recital and, and junior recital but in terms of like the recitals that were held in front of the entire department i completely avoided those um because I don't know. I just didn't. I don't want to. I didn't want to like mess up. Um, so, 
Yeah. 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 I mean, th- those, those performances can be a lot of pressure. I mean, you're putting yourself out there in front of, in front of your peers. There can be a lot of worry of that judgment and criticism. But, um, I mean, dur- during all this time, during all this time, was there, was there any effort to try to kind of, kind of push against some of this anxiety or try to work, work on the anxiety? Or was it just kind of, kind of a white knuckling sort of position you took against it? Um, I mean, I don't, I, I think I didn't, I think I really subscribe to this mentality of the tortured artist. I, you know, I, I I kind of just kind of gave in to the idea that music wasn't supposed to be passion of passion for me. Um, I, I didn't really feel happy playing. Oh, I, I considered quitting my major many times. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I think I had honestly kind of a twisted relationship i sometimes thought of my relationship with piano as like an arranged marriage (laughs) i literally used to think that because i was like oh you know i i was forced into this and it's so complicated because sometimes you know it really i really do like it and i really do feel like the, the things i'm playing are showing are helping me express emotions um but then other times like just the environment i'm in is so toxic um and and so i I don't know i I feel like i really didn't i think i just accepted i was like i think i'm just gonna always have a tortured relationship with music but that was in college i mean now i'm i'm undoing that i guess Mm -hmm. um because i'm a i'm a piano teacher now okay so i yeah so i teach piano um outside of work it's like my kind of my second job Mm -hmm. um and and uh i i realized that it took me like honestly a year or two to realize that I was teaching my students in the way that I had been taught, which um, wasn't the most fun way. It was very, uh, very practical, very um, uh, not clinical necessarily, but just you need to play the right. This note wasn't right. Okay, do it again. And you know, I still do some elements of that, mm-hmm. but I'm also incorporating game games now. Okay. Um, I used I used to tell them I was disappointed in them uh-huh. uh, if they weren't practicing, mm. and and now I don't do that because I realize it doesn't help. I don't know. It's like I used to say that because that's what I was told. You know, like disappointment and shame and that that kind of stuff. It's tough. It's tough to break um, those habits. I mean, those, those are kind of the examples. The, the examples we those are the examples we see from our teachers, and we kind of just make those associations. This is the way that piano is taught. This is the way that this is done. So, yeah, yeah. What, what was it like then to kind of catch yourself teaching in a way that didn't really sit well with you, and then making a Making it sounds like there was a conscious decision to teach in a different way, but maybe I'm, yeah. I'm reading into that. No, it it definitely was. It took me a while to notice it. I mean, mm. I I think I just it's one of those things you start to do without even realizing you're doing it, and something you bought into without even realizing you bought into it as a kid. Like, oh, for example, one of my students. I mean, it's normal for kids to cry, right? But like, I remember one time I felt like I really hadn't said much. I was like, oh, I'm just disappointed that you didn't practice. And this kid just started crying mm. a lot. Um, and it's not like I yelled at him, but obviously the disappointment was enough for him to feel like deep shame. Yeah. And I feel like when you 
feel a lot of shame it's really hard for you to I guess in some ways it'll motivate you but when you're a kid and this is supposed to be fun like that's not really gonna keep you going that's not gonna you're gonna start associating that activity with with shame um and Mm -hmm. I just remember thinking to myself like I mean is this the kind of relationship I want with my students um I don't know like I I just started to realize that um yeah it's just more fun for me and for them if we both try to have fun during the the lesson and for me to lower my expectations with them um I'm also part of this like piano teacher group on Facebook so I get some tips from them Uh, that that is interesting I wonder how 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 does how does that Facebook group approach teaching? Because I can imagine that there's this kind of very old school mindset of like, and this, I, I, I imagine that there's this hierarchical sort of thing where there's, I, I wonder if people who are teaching, quote, you know, very, very high-end teaching, for lack of a better word, very high-end playing, do they, do they view teaching as something or teaching in piano is something that is a job a focus a thing that you need to put hard effort to and it's not fun it is serious business and it, or or what is what is that dynamic in that group it depends uh-huh. um it, it, it you know with the internet it draws a lot of extreme i guess Crazy opinions people. either end yeah yeah Right. And so there's, there are certain people who are like, you know, teachers will ask for advice, for example, like, oh, what should you do if this student is not um, learning this concept correctly? And it's been like years. And some teachers will be like, drop them. They're not worth, they're not worth your time. Um, You know, you shouldn't be expected to put in effort for a student who's not putting in effort to practice um it's your own studio just just like fire them whatever and then other other teachers will be like i was that kid who didn't practice five years and then one day i decided that i wanted to practice and then i'm so glad my teacher didn't give up on me um mm-hmm. so it really depends i think on the teacher uh-huh. um yeah <laughs> so let, let's uh, kinda, less- oh, go ahead <laughs> I was just going to say, I've been trying to be on the more compassionate side where I'm not giving up on you, you know, despite how frustrating it might be to teach the same concept over and over again. Right. I, I, I suppose this is a good time to point out, let this be a lesson to everybody, that the internet is full of opinions and not every single right. person is right. So Right. <laughs> or, exactly. Oh, man. Yeah. So in taking that taking that shift, I mean, what, so actually, what, one of the things that I wrote down here is, is I, I wrote down joy, fun, at question mark. Is there any, mm-hmm. you, you, you talked about enjoying clarinet when you started playing in kind of jazz band and different ensembles. Um, what what role what role was was fun or enjoyment um, in 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 playing music or specifically playing piano? Um, was that part of the discussion or was that part of part of the exercise or was it just simply this is a ticket into an, an Ivy League or this is something that that you do um, as a as a, a Chinese American person? Yeah. Um 
Yeah, I feel like piano was probably the, the most complicated relationship I had with music. I, I also played other instruments. Um, and I honestly, as I think about it, I feel like I have different... It's, it's funny to say relationships because you can't really have a relationship with an instrument, I guess. But I just have different associations with uh-huh. different instruments I've played. Um, I've also played saxophone, guitar, and um, percussion instruments. Mm-hmm. And each one of those I've had different experiences with. So it's like certain instruments I just feel, you know, I had a better time playing because there was no environment in which there was negativity or toxicity. Totally. Um, and, and so, yeah, piano, it was very much of a mixed bag. I mean, partly it's just because I've been playing piano for, you know, almost like maybe 20, 23 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, um, it's kind of like, you just, the longer you've spent with something, the more likely it is for it to not be fun as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of rediscovering the fun now as I'm just learning pop songs and stuff like that. I find it to be fun when I'm singing along to something while I'm playing piano. Um, But yeah, I mean, at the time it really did not feel like, I really didn't understand why I was playing piano at all. Mm -hmm. Like what my parents didn't really explain to me why they're just like, it's good for you. And I guess, and and you're good at it. And uh, I wasn't really asked whether or not it was fun. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, yeah, I don't know. I, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, I think I think it does. I mean, in the sense that it's it it doesn't sound like it was part of the discussion. It was just kind of this thing, this thing that you did. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's yeah. how how has how has you know playing pop music or the shift into more for lack of a better term, fun music, how has that changed your relationship with piano? And I'll, I'll, I'll say, I, I think there, I think you can definitely say you can have a different relationship with different instruments. I think that, you know, I, I also have played saxophone, I've played bassoon, I've played okay. guitar and bass and awesome. stuff like that. And with all of those, there is a different feel that you have with it, especially that, you know, because that instrument also has a different role within music, you're going to take a different position. It requires different things of you. So yeah, I, I, I think it's fair to say, but if you, I guess, how has playing more fun music changed your relationship with piano? Um, I think it's made me realize that, you know, not everything has to be perfect. Um, that like, if everything, you know, I used to, do this thing with my students where if, if all the notes and the rhythm weren't perfect, like they were going to work on it for another week. Uh-huh. Um, and at this point I'm accepting like 80%, you know, and I don't, I think 80% is good enough for us to move forward with because I want them to stay motivated mm-hmm. and they're not going to stay motivated if, if they're playing the same piece for five weeks. Um, and so I, I'm starting to accept, you know, a little bit of, just like less perfectionism from both my students and myself mm-hmm. um kind of just learning things based on how i'm feeling like if i, I hear a song on the radio and i'm like i just kind of want to figure it out then i'll just do that because it's you know it's kind of like the soundtrack to my life right now and i want to i want to play a little bit of that um mm-hmm. so yeah i think that that's kind of how it's changed it and i i don't know um i've been trying to i realize that I was in such a kind of artsy environment in college that that I don't really have that right now. And so I might as well try to get some of that back just by playing more music. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. How does your performance anxiety impact you today? Yeah. um, Well, actually I, so I have not really 
up until this past year, I had not really performed since college. So I graduated college about six years ago now. Mm -hmm. um, and my last performance was May of 2016. Like that was, I did like a 45 minute long solo performance, essentially all classical music. Um, and that was pretty much the last time I performed in front of a group of people mm -hmm. until this past March or April, um, where uh, a singer friend of mine reached out to me and said, she's like my original, uh, my, my regular pianist slash accompanist is not available. Um, would you be available for this concert that I'm, I'm doing? Um, and her concert was kind of mixed, uh, pop slash classical. Mm -hmm. Um, and so she gave me, I think she gave me three weeks to learn the music, to learn seven different pieces, uh, which for me is a lot, um, mm -hmm. especially with the fact that I work full time and oh, then yeah. I teach until like nine every night. It's like the, I could only practice either on the weekend or in the like one hour left until my neighbors get annoyed, you know? Um, and so I did not, I don't, it was not perfect. I made a lot of mistakes. Um, but I mean, I am still kind of conditioned to not really react to mistakes in front of audiences. So, and I can keep things going if, you know, things go wrong. You just, that's just kind of what you learn as a performer. Um, but yeah, it was my first time really performing in front of an audience in, in almost six years. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was pretty nervous and I wondered to myself the entire time, like if, whether or not she thought I did a good job. Um, I kind of like took her, uh, a little bit of delay and responses afterwards to mean that she didn't think I would do a good job. Mm. Um, I kept replaying her face in my mind. Like, mm -hmm. like, like, was this a real smile or like, was this just to make me feel better mm. about how she actually thinks I'm a really bad performer? Um, and sometimes when I go down that path, I start to think about all the other times where I wasn't kind of hired again for a gig. And I wonder like, is it because I did a bad job or is it just because we lost touch? Like what was the real reason? And just starting to do a little bit, it starts to get a little bit obsessive, I guess, in that, in that sense. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't affect me too much now because I just don't perform as much, but like in the times that I have, I definitely just see myself starting to doubt whether or not I did a good job. So. Right. Yeah. Right. How, did you, did you ever put any effort to try to, uh, to try to, um, well, I'll finish the sentence. Did you ever put any effort to try to challenge those, challenge those thoughts or specifically the, those anxiety, the, the those anxiety ridden ones like, ah, oh, they're, you know, I didn't get hired because of this terrible, horrible, awful reason, not maybe this more reasonable reason that, you know, we lost touch or they might've hired somebody else or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I tried to to tell myself that, you know, it's been years and I will never be able to find out the actual reason um, and that probably, you know, it, it's hard, you know, when to, to meet anxiety thoughts with logic sometimes because uh -huh. it's just like, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, you are a better musician, better pianist than probably the majority of people you know. But then it's like, oh, well, that's just because like most people don't play piano, you know. So every time there's going to be something I, some way I can come back at it with something that contradicts my rational, whatever thoughts. Something just undermines um, you, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I I think you know in terms of being a piano teacher though, I 
I use kind of more evidence to show I sometimes I'm like oh I'm not a really good piano teacher but I mean I I feel like I the fact that I have gotten most of my students from word of mouth does kind of show that there are people who are willing to you know pay for my services uh-huh. and who keep recommending me so in that sense like I have a little more security in myself with teaching mm-hmm. but performing has just it's always been just like I don't know <laughs> Different. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of pressure. It also sounds like that that the the expectation about performing is 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 a little bit different. It's a little bit more more intense, and it sounds like there's a little bit there's there's more to lose in a sense with performing. Yeah, and and also it's it's hard because when when you're a performer and maybe you have anxiety about it. Um, people might come up to you afterwards and be like, Oh my God, you did such a great job. And wow, that was so good. And then, you know, in the back of my mind, it's just like, do you mean it? Um, or like, did you actually catch that? You're just being nice. You know, I'm just like really overanalyzing their facial expressions and, um, and kind of just like, is it just because you play another instrument? So you don't actually know what a good piano sounds like, or you don't play any instrument. So like, you don't know what good piano sounds like. And then just constantly like trying to, figure out how genuine their reactions are um but i mean i i I sometimes i'm able to just kind of stop and be like it doesn't matter you did it anyways and that should be that should be something i guess to 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 congratulate myself for because it's been such a long time anyways (laughs) right yeah yeah oh man catching yourself going down that rabbit hole of the the, the rumination and analysis is, Mm. is is so important Right, because you're because yeah. you're right. Ultimately, what you're doing is just getting into you know comparison and and your imagination. What their words were were, good job. Yeah. And your brain went, but what's underneath that good job? Do they really mean good job? And then right. all you're doing is speculating. Ugh. Right. Man. Yeah. Which makes you like a distrusting person. It's like totally. You know, and then other people can kind of like the i mean if you if you told them right i mean i I don't know i've never actually been like you're lying but then they're gonna think like you think i'm a liar and i'm like i don't know i'm not saying you are i'm just like speculating yeah but so it's it's i don't know it's not fun necessarily to live life like that it's just constantly thinking that everyone means the opposite of what they're saying to you so it's it's a lot easier and a lot more peaceful to trust what the words other people are saying Right and, and trust that they they mean what they what they are saying. Yeah, yeah. Right. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say um, it's it's hard also because you know I feel like I as a person overall I'm very I try to be open minded and kind of have a growth mindset. So I it's hard when I start to figure out like you know if they're even if they did have negative critical feedback for me, you know, I should be able to accept that and I should be able to grow from that and not be so not take that so personally. And Mm so I start to almost take like the compliments as hidden critical feedback and that I should grow from. So it starts to get all mixed up. And I think that that's kind of where it comes from is like, I'm constantly trying to figure out ways I can be better. Um, 
but yeah, like no one really told me to be that much better again. So it's, it's like, I don't know. It's a mind game. Yeah, no, it's a total mind game. It's, it, it's interesting. You said, I, I, I know I should just take their compliments, um, which, which implies that one, you're, you're not doing, you're not taking their compliments. Um, and that it would be, it would be of greater benefit to accept their, their compliments as is. You said, I should be accepting their compliments, but, and then kind of went into undermining it. What, what has, what has stopped you from accepting their compliments and how, how could you practice being, being more accepting of compliments or how have you been more, more accepting? Um, I think I just say thanks, even if I don't want to just say thanks. Uh-huh. I, I I used to do this thing, which was pretty annoying, I think, as, as a person, as a thing that per- people do. It's just uh, someone would give me a compliment and I'd be like, thanks. That's not true, though, or something. It'd just be some weird offhand remark about how, like, thanks but actually i don't think i'm gonna do well at all you know just something to completely undermine the, their compliment and then and, and i um yeah i think right now i've just just started to say thanks and that's it thanks period <laughs> thank you yeah what, what what sort of effect have you seen by taking that approach i think it just makes both of us in that situation more comfortable yeah. you know i feel like people get really uncomfortable if you say thanks to their compliment and then you completely show one of your insecurities and it, it feels kind of maybe it offends the person because it's like oh i was just trying to be genuine to you but now you're twisting it for some reason um mm-hmm. so it just makes the situation more comfortable and more pleasant for both of us if i just accept a compliment and i keep my own little anxieties to myself <laughs> for later or not at all i don't know it just ends it there totally yeah well, yeah. Well, I, I so I know that we're 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 getting to the end of our time. We could we could extend this out if you wanted to, or do a part two at some point. Because I know you you also have had OCD that has impacted your your life, and mm-hmm. you know has has OCD impacted your your music or your your performance. Um, I think so. Um, not necessarily performance, but just in terms of when I work with certain people, um, depending on what the theme is, I I end up, you know, sometimes certain people will trigger certain intrusive thoughts. Um, and you know, a lot of my intrusive thoughts are center around, sometimes the center around more like, I guess just taboo things, um, like sexual intrusive thoughts or like, uh, harm intrusive thoughts and stuff like that. And I think that, uh, those are always an issue when you're like working really closely with someone Mm -hmm. and you start to feel, you know, guilty. I mean, this goes for any kind of intrusive thought you have when you're working closely with someone, but yeah, in music, I mean, it definitely has happened and it makes me feel guilty because I'm like, you know, I'm literally supposed to just be focusing on your musicianship and now mm-hmm. it's become this whole other th- thing in my head that I have to focus on. Um, which, um, that has been, that has been pretty frustrating. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I, I don't, the way I've been dealing with that really is just through typical, I think OCD, uh, techniques, I guess, is just trying to catch myself when I start to ruminate about what the thoughts mean or, um, trying to just accept the thoughts being there, trying to sit in the anxiety, all that stuff. Um, I mean, it's hard and it, I mean, it doesn't just get better over time, but I mean, it does get better over time. It doesn't just get get better in the moment. Like 
if you're sitting there for five minutes, like the anxiety is probably still going to be there. But I mean, it has affected me for sure. Right. Right. <laughs> has yeah. it, um, so, I mean, in the, uh, uh, gosh, I know, unfortunately, in the sake of time, we'll have to start, yeah. start wrapping it up. But no I wonder, what, are, what are some top tips that you might have for someone who is kind of following through on a, on a path similar to you? What are some things that you might suggest or recommend they, they could consider or look at or change that perhaps you wish you had done early on in your process? of uh being a musician or with OCD anxiety I guess or both good follow-up let's say both both um I think it's it would be to try to recognize um to set certain certain boundaries and as to what kind of treatment you'll accept from peers, colleagues, and also um, just teachers. Mm. Uh, because I think I, it's, it, I feel like as a child, you don't really learn about boundaries in a very formal way. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you say, stop hitting me or something. Like if someone hits you, right? Yeah. But when it's not physical and your teacher is just slowly breaking you down over time by telling you, you know, things like you're, I'm doing you a favor. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, you're ruining my rotation, that kind of stuff. I think it's really important to, to notice. Yeah. Like, am I always upset around this person? Like, is this person always causing me frustration and shame? And like, you know, just recognizing that like, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I think for me, it was really hard because that was my norm. A lot of the time it's just, thinking that music was kind of destined to be or piano playing was destined to be something that was always going to be hard and toxic. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I didn't, I just accepted the toxicity, I guess. Um, so I guess my, my suggestion would be to try to set boundaries really early on and, um, as to what you'll accept from people, um, and really be honest with yourself about how you feel around certain people in certain environments. Um, I think it's brilliant advice. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. How about uh, how about any recommendations for people who are who are experiencing OCD um, and and kind of struggling with that in the course of in, in the course of their either performance or just in the course of their life? Yeah, um, I would say to find a therapist who is informed about OCD. Um, I like right now my therapist is probably my sixth or seventh therapist I've ever had, mm -hmm. and that's because um, all the other ones either uh, either didn't really understand what OCD was, or tried to apply logic to my obsessions, or um, or completely misunderstood the content of my obsessions and believed them. Um, so I feel like it's, it's really hard to know what you're looking for when you're first starting out, especially if you don't know the term OCD, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but I would just say like, first and foremost, like if you're going to go on psychology today, just try to filter it by obsessive compulsive disorder <laughs> instead of just anyone. Cause you know, talk therapy is not necessarily going to be helpful for you. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I literally, I was talking to, I had, like side note I, I had tried out this like relationship 
therapist for a second and I was talking about how like I have OCD and I was like talking about how I also sometimes think I experience symptoms of ADHD but I'm not diagnosed with ADHD I just find I share similar traits Mm -hmm. and they were like how does that go hand in hand because you know with ADHD because you say you're forgetful but then you say that you know OCD you have OCD and people with OCD tend to be more meticulous and have more attention to detail and I was like I was so confused because I was like you're like a therapist I don't know so (laughs) people can't see my my eye rolling but I hope they felt it in 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 that yeah i i think yeah i I hear what you're saying i think i'm i'm totally on board trying to find a therapist who 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 is experienced with ocd and all what what i'll do is at the on the episode page i'll i'll tag a a article from the iocdf that talks about um it's it's questions that someone can ask a potential therapist to get an idea if if they are uh, if they have experience and understand OCD and know what know what treatment's going to look like, so I'll, I'll tag that on there as well. Because problem with psychology yeah. today is everybody specializes in everything, and everybody mm. on there specializes in anxiety and OCD because everyone who goes through therapy school takes a CBT class. So they mm-hmm. go, "I've taken a CBT class. I know what I'm doing." Right. Yeah. And it's a yeah. it's 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 a little more complicated than just straight up just CBT. <laughs> Right, exactly. As, as you can attest to. So, um, so Eric, I know I should, uh, I, I unfortunately have to let you go here, but I really appreciate you sharing your experience and just what what life has been like for you and what your, 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 what your um, experience through music and anxiety has been. Where, where can people find a little bit more about you? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm on Instagram. I have my own uh, podcast that um, I'm not a clinician. I am just someone with OCD and, and who, uh, you know, is passionate about mental health awareness and education. Um, so I have a podcast called Just Say Maybe. Um, you can find me on Instagram.com slash Just Say Maybe podcast. I also just recently started a YouTube channel that's just called Just Say Maybe. I haven't really posted anything on there yet, but I am planning to. Um, but yeah, that's where you can find me. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll provide links for all that in the in the Instagram post on the episode page so um, okay. so people can find that uh, at uh, fearcastpodcast.com so awesome. all right, Erica thank you so much for your time and um, we, we really appreciate your story yeah thanks so much Kevin it was good to be here <laughs> absolutely all right take care you too check Okay, everybody, thank you so much for making it through that episode. It was such a fun chat to, to speak with Erica about her experience with music and anxiety. And there's so much more we could have talked about with her advocacy, her podcast, um, and, uh, and, and, and how she's uh, kind of rekindling her relationship with music. So uh, that was a lot of fun. If you have questions for Erica or have follow-up questions, go to the Fearcast podcast and go to the submit a question link and message me that question. I'm sure Erica would be happy to be on the episode or on the podcast again in a future episode to answer any questions um, and uh, or to share more of her story. And again, if you would like to share your story for the um, uh, uh, Anxiety of the Arts series, message me over to Fearcast Podcast or over to Instagram. So please remember everybody that the Fearcast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you need a little bit of more help in your treatment at Fearcast Podcast, you can go to uh, the, the Find Help link and there's going to be some uh, information for you there. So um, everybody, until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.